It's the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark. Before we get started today, I want to draw your attention to the fact that our show has made it onto Spotify's Top Charts List, a collection of Spotify's most popular podcasts. I want to thank you guys because it turns out that you like listening to our show and all of our guests talk about football. Thanks to everyone for listening and supporting this show. And feel free to check out the other shows on the Top Charts by going to the Podcast Hub on Spotify. There's a couple of other Ringer shows that made the list as well. Okay, today's show, we have Peter King, NBC Sports, get to it, uh, incredible interview, touch on a variety of topics from the COVID offseason to Jamal Adams to Aaron Rodgers to Tom Brady. Okay, Peter King, NBC Sports, we just met Chuck, your dog, which is a highlight so far for me of training camp. How are you, Peter? I've been doing great, Kevin. How about you? I'm... Okay. I mean, this is the strangest training camp that I've ever been a part of, probably that you've ever been a part of. Normally, we see each other on the road in Buffalo or Minnesota or something like that. That won't be happening this year. I want to start big picture with the last week, Peter, because we saw the Marlins news in baseball. There was a report this morning from Jeff Passan that the Phillies have essentially pressed pause on their workouts because of a positive test. How closely, because the NFL is not going to have a bubble, how closely do you think NFL executives are looking at baseball with a little bit of uh, sinking feeling in their stomach and saying maybe this is something that might happen to the NFL season, Peter? Well, very close, Kevin, except I think as of now, before all information has been gathered, it appears as though there's a good chance that this was a knucklehead situation by the Marlins. Right. Um, and that this just wasn't some little accidental, uh, you caught it from a clubhouse attendant in right. Philadelphia. Um, we don't know yet, obviously, but if the Marlins did go out in mass in Atlanta to a bar, to a club, to a restaurant, uh, that's clearly going to be verboten by the NFL. Not to say that it won't happen, mm-hmm. but, um, I think that, you know, as somebody from the NFL said, one of the general managers said to me, he said, listen, so far from what we've seen, this is one group from one team. And uh, look, I think the cautionary tale with the NFL to me is Andrew Whitworth of the Rams. Mm-hmm. I was going to bring that up. You, you spoke to him for he nine out of nine members of his family got it. You spoke to him for a story two weeks ago when he basically said, he, he, his comments kind of led you to be a little bit dubious of the, of the NFL finishing a season. So t- tell yeah, us. About I, that. Look, I still am dubious. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, Brian Gumbel asked me on uh, real sports, what I thought the chances were of the NFL starting and finishing the season. And I said, maybe four out of 10, you know, on, in the yeah. regular time. Yeah. Because I mean, think about it. It's 269 games over five months. And from what everybody is assuming, there is going to be a second wave. And, and hey, look, it doesn't look like the first wave is over yet, yeah. you know. And and uh, and I know that from my perspective, in trying to convince NBC to let me go to three training camps this year, the hoops I know I've had to jump through to to just go out in the world. Uh, being very confident. Look, I'm a 63-year-old guy. I don't have any health conditions. Um, there's nothing wrong with me. But And a lot more people at NBC are more concerned about me 
than I am about me because, hey, I live in Brooklyn. I've been wearing a mask every day since probably March 20th or somewhere around there. It sits, I live in an apartment in Brooklyn. It sits by my front door. I put it on every time I go out to walk Chuck or go out with my wife or to do anything. And, you know, to say we do anything is a pretty gross exaggeration. We don't do anything, you know, but I think that many players in the NFL have talked about this. Uh, Coaches have talked about this. Players in the NFL just have to be smart. And Kevin, you know, it just, it's an exclamation point on this. My first column back uh, after being on vacation, I got a tour of the Minnesota Vikings training facility in Egan, Minnesota. Uh, Eric Sugarman, the trainer, and the guy who the NFL kind of holds out as a paragon of how to do things right in this infection control business. Um, You know, he's got COVID. Uh, And so it's going to be difficult to get through the season. But I do think that there may be evidence that the Marlins are a one-off. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I thought when I read your column about Minnesota, it was a great column. And what stuck out to me when Eric Sugarman was diagnosed with COVID is that the Vikings not only did everything right, but they have the facility. They have such a huge facility. You can socially distance there. I mean, it, it is like, they are, seem like the perfect team to, I guess, uh, control everything. And now that Eric Sugarman is being diagnosed, I, I guess you're right. It's, a, it's an exclamation point on just um, how widespread this can be. Um, from a competitive standpoint, Peter, you've written that this is, quote, uh, this could be a, a, quote, wholly unfair season um, when you talk about some people being in the stands in some cities and then no crowds in others, or if four linebackers get knocked out of a game when it's a big divisional week. You know, Philip Rivers has brought up the point what happens if on Monday a quarterback test positive, you know, in, in the Super Bowl, uh, what, what is the protocol there and who determines that? And, and is there a gray area and that sort of thing? When you think about how this season will be played on the field, um, what stands out to you is something we're not talking about enough. What is something as simple as, you know, the fact that there's been so many virtual off seasons and no, no on-field stuff that veterans might have an advantage this year or players who learn differently might have an advantage this year or, you know, teams with more depth or whatever. When you think about the way that the, the game will look this year because of the last seven, eight months, what stands out, Peter? Well, I think two things. Number one, uh, just the fact that there's not going to be much practice, really. Yeah. Uh, and there's not going to be, I mean, first of all, the entire, you know, the, the, the New Orleans Saints, they very well could be my pick to make the Super Bowl in the NFC. And when they gather this week, it's the first time anybody will have had any sort of football meeting, practice, preparation, anything since January. That is uh, totally absurd compared to what a football team always is. The, you know, the Saints would have gotten together starting around, I think, April mm-hmm. 13th or 20th, and they would have gone through a normal offseason program. So, you know, that is going to be really unusual to see how teams adjust and adapt. Uh, and, and sort of as a part B to that, you know, I think it just means that normally in a given year, we always say that, Hey, you know, because I think it's now been 20 years in a row that 
at least four new teams have made the playoffs every year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, a, a front office guy told me a couple of weeks ago, he said, don't, this is the kind of year where the Detroit lions are going to be lifting the Lombardi trophy at the <laughs> end of the year, because yeah. maybe they were healthiest. And he said, I only use the lions as an example. Could be anybody could be the Browns. It could be, but there are going to be some teams. I will not be surprised, Kevin, if some team plays a 12 game season mm-hmm. or a 14 game season. And that leads me to the second part of this that I think is really important about this year. Look, I love football. You love football. We love Sundays in the fall. Um, I, I chuckle, I slash chuckle, get outraged when people say, you don't want to see football. You want to see COVID take over and cancel the season. And I just say, what kind of nut are you? But um, the one thing about sort of the way this year is going to be, and look, I know that Roger Goodell is uh, about as popular as spoiled milk to a lot of NFL fans, but I think this is the year that Roger Goodell needs to be given the power to do what's in the best interest of the game week by week by week. And if four offensive linemen, starting offensive linemen for the Minnesota Vikings test positive on Thursday one week, Roger Goodell should have the ability to say that their game against the Bears on Sunday is postponed. Mm-hmm. He just should. This is an absolutely abnormal year, as I've written. You're right. It's a wholly unfair year. But there needs to be some common sense uh, you know, power given to the commissioner of the NFL to make sure that for this season, uh, there are going to be some rules imposed that in a normal season would never be imposed. I want to get to some other non-COVID stuff, but before we get there, you know, I've had conversations with people and one of the big things that comes up is maybe there's 16 games, maybe there's a full playoffs, but maybe there's, and you've talked about this too, maybe there's a week 18 and 19, and maybe there are two week spans where a team can't play. What do you think the chances are that the Super Bowl happens on the date that it is currently scheduled in early February? I mean, I'm dubious, but <laughs> I mean, it's not impossible, but I'm, yeah. I'm dubious because look, the NFL has built into their schedule uh, and uh, the facility in Tampa has it built in that they could basically play any Sunday in February. Right. Weather-wise, it wouldn't, yeah. Yeah, it, weather-wise, it wouldn't be a problem. There's four Sundays in February. They could play any one of those they wanted. Now, I do think uh, that if Florida continues to be on fire and it gets to be, let's just say, October 1st, I definitely think the NFL is going to start thinking of alternatives. Um, I'm sure they're thinking of alternatives, you know, right now. Um, You know, Goodell is very fond of saying internally that hope is not a strategy. Mm -hmm. So um, he looks at Florida right now and the absolute bungled way that uh, Ron DeSantis has handled COVID. You know, he's tried to basically go to the Donald Trump school of COVID, which is which is so odd for a guy who went to Yale, you know, and who graduated from Yale, you know, a really, really yeah. bright guy, evidently. Oh, I think I'll just pretend this doesn't exist. Um, this ought to get a lot of good comments to your uh, podcast, Kevin. But anyway, <laughs> so, uh, you know, if, if two months from now, 
they're still, if Florida is on fire, yeah, the NFL is going to at least start considering what would be an alternative. I think the last thing the NFL would want in a year like this, maybe not the last thing, but one thing they don't want, they don't want a fanless Super Bowl. Right. They don't want a Super Bowl with no fans there. So, you know, we'll see. But uh, that's why I think everybody just has to take a deep breath and say, we have no idea what this year is going to bring. And don't get too excited. I got in a big argument a couple of weeks ago with Chris Russo on his show um, mm-hmm. about he's saying it would be really competitively unfair if the Eagles could have fans at their game, 20,000, and the Giants can't. I said, that is about 943rd on the yeah. list of unfair things. I said, do you think that, that anybody in the NFL is going to say, if you can have fans come to your games and you can bring in some revenue because of that, don't do it? I, I, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, and that's there's such a long list of concerns that that so many of these things end up not mattering. Uh, I want to talk about the Jamal Adams trade because you talked to John Schneider, you talked to Pete Carroll over the past week. It seems to me, um, you know, there are exceptions to this, uh, DeAndre Hopkins being one of them, but it seems to me that first round picks are now the default cost of doing business to get a superstar in the NFL. Um, having talked to John Schneider, having talked to Pete Carroll, you, you believe in the Seahawks plan versus the Jets plan? Who won this trade? Um, well, uh, I'll say something that I never thought I would say. If you <laughs> asked me to name the team that I thought made out better, I think Seattle made out better. Mm. And part of that, honestly, Kevin, is that I think you have to look at, uh, you know, Seattle surrendered first and third round picks in 2021. Yep. And then obviously a first round pick in 2022. Well, I guess I would ask you, because I, I don't think any of us know, we can just guess, but I don't know what the draft is going to be next year. Right. And let's just assume for the sake of argument that the Seahawks will be picking 25th, you know, in the first round and 25th in the, in the third round. So what that means essentially is that this year you have lost the 25th and say 90th, 89th picks in this year's draft and then next year's one. Well, what if, let's say for the sake of argument, 20 potential first round draft choices in college football opt out of playing college football this year. And you have to judge your players that you're going to draft in 2021 on what you know about all of these guys so far. You saw that there was a Virginia tech corner. I don't know who any of these guys are, but you saw potential potential top, uh, top two round pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, he said, "I'm not. I'm I'm opting out. I'm not going to play this year." And I'm sure, as you know, there's going to be a lot of people. Uh, I would think who are going to opt out of this. But the only reason I bring that up is that if you're John Schneider and your last few high draft choices, as I documented uh, in, in my column, they've had five. They've had uh, five top 45 picks since 2014 and not one of them is a a prominent player on the current team Mm -hmm. so if you have to say that look we've got a really good scouting system and we've got a good mechanism for picking players and still 
we come up with, and look, Rashad Penny might end up being a great NFL player. He hasn't been so far. You know, he's been hurt and all that. And I get it. But what I'm saying is, if you're John Schneider, never in a million years, as long as Russell Wilson is your quarterback, you're never picking sixth in the draft. You never are. So why not use a guy who is the legitimate sixth pick in the draft? He's performed better than that. And trade that draft booty up and basically get that guy, especially when you have to worry about what next year is going to be anyway. So if I were John Schneider, that's one of the reasons why I think in this case, a bird in the hand uh, is really worth it. Now for the Jets, I get why they did this. But at some point, the Jets have finished last in their division three of the last four years. They're probably going to finish last this year. At some point, you got to stop winning trades and start winning games. And the Jets just have not done that. So, you know, if this trade becomes the bedrock backbone of a consistent playoff team over the next three or four years, I I tip my cap to Joe Douglas. But let's see it first. Yeah, I've I've changed my opinion over the past couple of years about these sort of trades. Not necessarily this one, but in general, where I used to reflexively think that anyone who got a first round pick or two first round picks made out like bandits. You know, I remember when Amari Cooper was traded, I said, oh, my gosh, the, the Raiders just that, that they, they might as well have done that with a gun and a mask. Right. And Amari Cooper turned out to have unlocked Dak Prescott in that season in a way that I didn't anticipate. And I've come around on the idea that that getting first round picks is not the be all end all of running a football team. Um, I think that the jets did well. I also think that so many things they've done have been at odds with other things they've done. Remember they have Sam Darnold and they, they should maximize that rookie contract window. But on the other hand, they've done such a poor job of that already that at some point you just have to, to change your strategy midstream. So it's, it's an interesting move for both teams. And I think that in, in some ways, both teams probably got better from it. I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers really quickly. So, he said this week on a on a Spotify podcast that he essentially is aware that the team will probably move on from him sooner rather than later. Um, he he described draft night and the Jordan Love pick, and and none of this necessarily is a huge shock. You had talked about how the fact that he was unhappy pretty quickly after the draft in April, Peter. Um, how does that play out this year? And if you were to put an expiration date on Rodgers and Green Bay, what is your over-under? Well, Kevin, as much as I, I really do like Brian Gutekunst, uh, because I think that he believes in the Ron Wolf school of general yep. managing, which is you always have to be prepared at quarterback. That's number one. And number two, um, you're going to be a very unpopular person at times. Ron Wolf was at times when he was the GM. Ted Thompson was even with Mike McCarthy. Um, and he was unpopular as well uh, at times. Um, but the Brian Gutekunst, uh philosophy in this draft, um, I, I, I'm not going to kill him for uh, taking Jordan Love. I, I'm not going to kill him, but what I am going to do is I am going to be very critical of him for ignoring the wide receiver position and in basically relying 
on a bunch of Equinemia St. Browns and, and, and guys who might, might become, you know, the, the, the bookend to Devontae Adams. But I just, when you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback and you don't give him the weaponry that almost every other good team in the NFL has on offense, that's going to rise up and bite you. It, it just is. And so I feel for Rodgers in this way. And, and again, look, I do not think that it was a dumb decision necessarily uh, to take Jordan Love, but I do think in the second round, he had to move around. He had to spend some draft capital. They had to go get, he told me the weekend of the draft, there were two receivers with their late pick in the second round that they were, uh, they were looking at, but both of them got picked. So I'm sorry, that's not good enough. You got to go get one of those guys. You got to make sure that you get one of those guys, in my opinion. Now, as far as his expiration date, uh, I believe that if he keeps playing well, if he plays top five in the NFL over the next three years, that I bet the Packers would look to do with, uh, uh, with love what the Patriots did with Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. Is it likely? No. But Aaron Rodgers and, uh, and Matt LaFleur control that in their own hands and in Aaron Rodgers' right arm. Yeah, it's it's now after this week, I would say one of the more fascinating on-field dramas, I guess, if you can classify that as on-field, but it is a football story um, that'll happen in 2020. Speaking of quarterbacks and subplots, the Tom Brady thing in Tampa to me is so different than it was in March. When we signed, when he signed there, it felt like he can hit the ground running, he's going to have Bruce Aarons, he's going to have all these weapons. When you start looking at the fact that every workout he's done so far has been on a random high school field in Tampa, or he, you know, it's kind of makeshift. He hasn't been in the building, um, in any meaningful way. You know, I, he is so into continuity and he loves knowing where everything is in the building. That's, you know, the, the, the Patriots as an organization, I remember one, one of the executives once telling me one of the reasons they didn't go away from training camp is they just love the fact that there's just so much continuity in the building and nothing ever changes and all that stuff. And a guy who values chemistry like that, do you think there's there's an ability for Tom Brady to hit the ground running in Tampa this year in a way we thought, or is it going to take a little bit longer? Or, as kind of you said, it's going to be such a chaotic season that just the pure talent might win out over all the things that Brady typically values, like like um, continuity. I think it's going to be really hard for him to hit the ground running. I mean, basically, Josh McDaniels, and, and again, look, I'm not in their meeting rooms. I don't know, but I've always gotten the impression that Josh McDaniels solve so many problems during the week for Tom Brady, especially in the talent gap years, you know, like last year, how on God's green earth, they started eight. No, I have no idea. (laughs) And they were so much more in my opinion, you know, look, you know, as crazy as it is, uh, in games played after Halloween last year, the dolphins had a better record than the Patriots. And, you know, and I think that is more of what the Patriots were. They were about a 500, maybe a nine and seven talent team that won more games than that because they have an all-time quarterback and an all-time coach. 
Um, but they still had so many holes. And, and, and honestly, I think McDaniels over the years has done a really good job of filling those holes and solving those problems before they get to be huge problems. Now, look, I think we're really going to find out a lot about Byron Leftwich this year because yeah. Bruce Arians really has empowered Byron Leftwich to work with Tom Brady. And we're going to see, uh, you know, basically if Byron Leftwich is ready for prime time, quite honestly. And I think, look, I think their plan with Jameis Winston was great. And I think they coached him well in training camp. But at, 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 at one point, the guy is going to go out and play. And Jameis Winston was, uh, you know, just made way too many mistakes. Yeah. Um, and as far as I, I think Brady is going to be drooling at the talent that he, that he has to play with. You know, his tight end position and his wide receiver position. I don't know any team in the NFL, and I will include the Chiefs with this, the depth at tight end and wide receiver. Uh, I mean, I would take the Chiefs over Tampa Bay, but just in terms of pure numbers, you know, look at the tight end position, you know, on Tampa Bay and how great it is. And they've got two of the 15 best wide receivers in football too, and a little bit of depth there. So I think Brady will play well, but I do think it's going to take some time for them to come together. Uh, we'll get you out of here in a second. I want to, I want to talk briefly about the team building aspect of all of this because the cap going down or at least smoothing over the next four years is hugely important. I mean, God, I, I, I having massive contracts on your books right now, unless they are, you know, Patrick Mahomes esque contracts that are absolutely worth it can be a harrowing experience. When you talk to people around the league, I, I've talked to GMs who, who are still grappling with this, but what do you think the biggest difference in the next couple of years with team building will be because we aren't going to get the cap spikes like we were expecting? Well, I think that free agency is really going to be more like it was in 2020, yeah. which everybody looked at as it was almost a recession in the NFL this past March. I mean, Von Bell, three years, 18 million. There's a great example of, you know, a good young, whatever he is, 25 year old safety who can really be, uh, you know, an Earl Thomas type quarterback back there. And he gets no action whatsoever. And, you know, he, looking back at it now, he's lucky that he got 6 million a year in Cincinnati. Believe me, I'm not. I'm not saying, oh, gee, six million. It's nothing. But the uh, inflation in salaries that you normally get, uh, I don't think you're going to get now, uh, Kevin, until the new um, television contracts kick in, and that's either two or three years away. Otherwise, I think this next year is going to be a very disappointing year for a lot of players and. Also consider that all the players who have opted out, I think the hidden story in the opt-outs is what happens if, so the Patriots took um, two linebackers, and what happens if both those guys play really well? And I don't, I have no idea what'll happen, but they could both play 
700 snaps and both play really well. And maybe Bill Belichick will say, I love you, Dante Hightower, but we'll do well with these guys because we got to manage the cap. And what will he do with Patrick Chung coming back? Will Patrick Chung come back? Will Nate Solder come back to the Giants? So there's all of these questions that we don't know the answers to right now, but I do believe that are going to contribute to um, sort of, uh, as I say, a recession in free agency and in player salaries, at least for uh, 2021. Do you think that affects contracts like Dak Prescott's? Because I think Dak Prescott's playing it perfectly, except the time that he's trying to reach free agency. The whole thing, though, this is going to be difficult for Prescott. Because if, you know, I forget what his number is next year, like 37 million or something yeah. like that. It's it keeps, huge, it keeps, obviously. If they tag him a second time. Yeah, yeah if they tag him yes. a second time. So let's say it's 37 million. I'd have to figure it out because I believe the cap probably will be 175. It'll mm-hmm. be what the floor, um, you know, what the NFL and the NFLPA negotiated. So now you basically look, uh, at his salary, and you say, "My gosh, his salary is about twenty-two percent." And I'm just did that roughly in my head. I'm probably wrong, but it's like twenty-two percent of a salary cap on a team with a bunch of big contracts. Tons, tons. And so it's almost incumbent. And look, I'm not, I'm not telling Dak Prescott what to do. We get, you know, Kirk Cousins has made more money than any player in football over the last four or five years. So Dak Prescott, I think normally I would say, Hey, just go ahead and do that. Here's why I wouldn't do it now because Tom Brady, a couple of times said to Scott Pioli and Bill Belichick, listen, I'll take less money, but you've got to guarantee you're going to spend the money that you save with me on players to make us better. And the Patriots always did that. My feeling is that, if Dak Prescott doesn't do that next year, if he just takes the max for himself, which he has every right to do, but if he does it, he has to understand that he will not have as good a team around him uh, as he could have if he did, let's say, a long-term contract with a first-year cap number of, I'll invent it, 20 million bucks. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, would be the best help that he could be for the Cowboys being good for a long time. Now, he might not be concerned with that. And, hey, it, it's not his job to be concerned with it. But all I'm saying is if he wants the Cowboys to be the best team, he's going to have to be reasonable in what he takes next year. My only thought is that the Cowboys need to keep Dak Prescott around and figure out how to do that. And if he doesn't want to take the, the I think you, you reckon with if he doesn't want to take the discount just because not having Dak Prescott and going into the draft again or free agency trying to find a quarterback is just, is, is not something the Cowboys should want to deal with. Here's my question. So what would be a reasonable approach? Do you think like get together with him during the sure. season this year, lay this out when it looks like, you know what the cap situation is going to be. Talk to him and Todd France, have a meeting maybe during the bye week. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, what do, you do? 
So first of all, I think you throw out the Mahomes deal. I think that the Mahomes deal is its own thing. It's yeah. $503 million. I think you nego- you try to negotiate off the Russell Wilson, Jared Goff deals. And yeah. those are those are all uh, at this point in the low to mid 30s. I think you, listen, Dak Prescott clearly values short contracts in the same way Kirk Cousins did. Kirk Cousins gave everybody a blueprint. I think Dak Prescott's better than Kirk Cousins. But Kirk Cousins and Mike McCartney gave, gave the league a blueprint, franchise tags, short contracts, all that stuff. And I know the Cowboys like giving these long contracts. I know Ezekiel Elliott signed through 2025 or whatever it is, 2026. But I, I think that at some point you say, we have to let this playbook play out and we have to give Dak Prescott the type of flexibility he wants because, you know, I remember talking to Thomas Dimitrov about this when he talked about the Matt Ryan negotiations. We basically said he, he gave him $30 million because at some point you're, you're haggling over you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is to get to that 30 million. And you're saying, what are we doing here? Because the, what happens when you don't have that franchise quarterback is palpable throughout the building. That's what, that's what Dimitrov told me. And that you, everybody is just searching for it. There's a sense of desperation in a building where there's not a franchise quarterback. And I think Dak Prescott is that type of guy where if he leaves the franchise, at least temporarily would be in disarray. And I think you have to pay for that. Yeah, you, I agree. You've got to figure a way to make it happen. There's almost been this, uh, this, I, and I know that that covering the NFL is now a 12-month-a-year venture, obviously, but I don't remember any contract story in my 36 years of covering the NFL that had as much maniacal fervor about it than Dak Prescott. and. And I've always figured, and I still figure to this day, that he and the Cowboys will figure it out. And again, you know what else, Kevin, is really interesting about Prescott and the Cowboys? And I don't know how many people think of it that this way, but I certainly do. You know, it's different being the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys than it is being the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. You know, and he could certainly go somewhere and make an awful lot of money, but is he going to be doing the, and I forget what commercials he does, but I mean, he's in the top five in the NFL in commercials. Are you in the top five in the NFL in commercials? If you're playing for the Vikings, I mean, that that's, that's the I, whole, that's the whole thing. You know, I'm seeing chunky Campbell soup commercials. I'm seeing mattress commercials. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of commercials here, insurance ads. I'm, yeah. I'm seeing a lot yogurt. of these. Yes. <laughs> yogurt. Absolutely. How could I forget? Um, last thing, Peter, when I was 22 years old, I met you at Starbucks and introduced myself well before I was an NFL reporter. Do you remember that? And did you think I was a psychopath if you did? No. What, where was this? Where did this happen? Tell me. It was in, it was on the East side of New York. It was, I think it was on 53rd street okay. at a Starbucks and you were on your laptop and I was such a huge fan. Wow. That I went up and introduced myself, and we talked for maybe five minutes, and you were incredibly nice to me. Wow, I yeah. I feel terrible in saying this. I don't remember it, but that's fine. That, that's a. I was such a sports writer dork that there's a yeah. number of people where that was true of, including famously Bill Simmons. I went up to Bill Simmons when I was 17 years old in a hotel lobby at the Super Bowl and introduced myself. He doesn't remember it. All he's he's. Oh, the only thing he said was, was it pleasant? And I, it was very, very pleasant. And the same <laughs> is true of you, Peter. Uh, well, thanks. You know, the, the interesting thing about this, this job is 
we all had people in our lives who we we met early on, you know, in our business. And you either, you know, the name Studs Terkel. Yeah, of course. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah. Yeah. Studs Terkel was this great writer out of Chicago. And uh, he wrote a book one time called Working. And I was a student at Ohio University. And I remember, I, I love working because what Studs Terkel did is he spent a year and he went around the city of Chicago and he spent one day with, let's say, 40 people who were just doing their jobs. And he described it. My senior project at Ohio University was, I called it 45701. That's the zip code, Athens, Ohio, where Ohio University was. And I spent one day with 10 different people as an homage to Studs Terkel. But the story is, I called Studs Terkel. I think he worked for the Chicago Sun-Times. I called him one day and I asked him, I was very nervous and I asked him, would you be willing to do the foreword for my little project? And he basically said, kid, I don't have time for that. Good luck to you. See ya. And I was crushed. And at that moment, I said, I'll never do that again. <laughs> wow. I'll never do Studs. that to anybody. And, you know, I probably have, but I try not to anyway. Studs Turkle all... big time to you, Peter. He did. Yeah. yeah. I, the only re- I, Studs Turkle, aside from knowing what the book is, he was on The Daily Show when, in like 2002. And I vividly remember him saying, you remember him saying, that that all of his reporting led him to realize that everybody just wants to get through the day, which I always found to be a very profound, right. a yeah, profound right. quote. And we all, you know what? Don't we all just want to get through this crap? Yeah, I right know. I, I, mean, I know. Really do. I mean, I, I'm sitting in my apartment in Brooklyn right now. And I mean, I've been here all but seven days since March 14th. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I watched the Tampa Bay Buccaneers draft on this laptop, you know, in round one, you know, and that's how I covered the draft. That's how I was inside a draft room, but, and all that, Hey, it's cool what you can do, you know, with technology, but do you want to do it? No. You know, you want to get back out there and actually experience life. So hope we can do that pretty soon. Do you know, or can you say you're comfortable saying which teams you're going to visit Peter? Well, I mean, I'm trying to arrange going to Tampa mm-hmm. uh, and I'm trying to arrange going to Kansas City and maybe one other one. But I mm-hmm. kind of, you know, the other thing is, Kevin, usually I'll go to like 20 and I'll, and yeah. I'll make this big list. But this year, I kind of want to see what if one team has 15 positives? Well, yeah. I mean, I might want to go there. You know, and either from the outside, just try to peer in to see how it's going. But I I don't know. To me, I think I'd really like to see Tom Brady throwing a football dressed in orange or fire engine red uh, (laughs) on a 96 degree Tampa afternoon. I think that would be good. Peter King, thank you for joining us. Hey, Kevin, thanks a lot for having me. I love your work. Thank you so much.